To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, so I just sat down and recorded a really good podcast I'm really proud of. So I did it on uh, early season mule deer. Um, and it and it's also, you know, it's about hunting mule deer, but it's also just about improving your bow hunting game. And it's it's about looking at, at, at all the different facets that go into being a quality, consistent bow hunter and, and uh, just a, a really fun episode to lay down. So I'm sure you guys will enjoy it. I forgot to do the sponsors at the beginning of the show, so we'll, we'll do an intro and edit this in and then uh, should be good to go, get it released to you guys. Um, so I want to I want to thank our sponsors. Um, we have some new sponsors for Eastman's Elevated, but but these are the companies that are that are really supporting us and supporting the podcast. And I I just can't thank them enough. And 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 so make sure you go check them out. Check out their websites, the products they offer. They really make me a, a better, more efficient, more effective bow hunter, and and um, they make my experience more enjoyable and 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 just great companies. Um, so make sure to check them out and give them some love. Um, so I want to thank Everly Stock, Sig Sauer. I want to thank Sitka, Tech New, Yeti. I want to thank High Mountain Seasonings, Onyx Maps, and Taito Knives. Um, so those are the guys that have, that have stepped up and sponsored the podcast this year, and I just want to give them all my support um, and, and have you guys give them support as well. So thanks to those companies. I also want to thank Eastman's. Um, Eastman's, they sure support and stand behind this podcast. Um, you know, they, they've always stood behind me. They're just a, a great company to work for. Um, you know, I just can't say enough good things. They three generations uh, uh, of hunters in the outdoor industry, and they're, they're just a, a mainstay and a, and a staple in the outdoor industry for, for Western hunting. Um, they've, they've always done such a good job at, at portraying it in a positive light, portraying hunting in a positive light, and uh, portraying Western hunting as a positive light. And, and really, they're one of the originals from, from the outdoor industry. And so um, I, I'm just so proud to be a part of the team and so proud to have this podcast supported by Eastman. So thanks to those guys for all their support. And um, yeah, I think that's all I got. Let's uh, get into this solo episode here on, on early season mule deer. Hey, what's happening, guys? Well, I'm just sitting down here Sunday morning. It's about 9.30 here. Just ran my daughter into work. She's been keeping busy with work and school and driver's ed and sports and everything. But uh, drop her off and record this podcast here and then get back into the bear woods. Um, yeah, I've been hunting bears pretty hard here, um, but I really got to hit it hard the next couple weeks. Uh, the grass is just finally right. I think they're out and about. I got blanked yesterday in a good spot, but um, just got to look at the right little meadow and have a bear feeding in it or a good bear feeding in it. I've seen six so far, but um, it's getting ready to turn on. So yeah, just got to hit it really hard from from now until when I leave for Hawaii, which is June 1st. But um, I'm pumped. It's good hunting. Uh, been able to put on some good miles, good elevation walking around. It's just um, so fun to be in the mountains. It's such a great stress reliever and um I do so much good 
good thinking as I'm walking around the mountains, just about life and, um, you know, you know, the podcast and work and, and family and everything. So really good time for me to reflect, but I want to sit down and record a podcast. I want to do it on high country mule deer, or maybe I should say early season mule deer. Um, what a, what a passion of mine. I absolutely love high country mule deer. I mean, um, you, you get to hunt them up where the goats and sheep live. They they live in just the gnarliest high country. They live at the top of the mountain. And I, I think that's why I like it so much is it's so rough and rugged. And it, it takes so much effort to get back in there. You, you have to, to backpack hunt it. Or if you are day hunting it, I mean, it, you've got to leave and hike three hours usually to get to a decent spot to where you can day hunt. So usually it's a, it's a backpack exclusive hunt, which... You know, backpacking is just so difficult. Um, you know, you put that extra weight on your back. And I, I talk about pack weights and things, you know, that my pack weighs 35 pounds or 40 pounds. But, you know, thinking about it, I'm, I'm never taking into account the five pounds of clothes, my binos and bino harness and camera. Like, I never weigh my bino harness with my pack. You know, it's probably another few pounds. And then and then I have my bow, which I... I stick weight on purposely to to make it shoot better and hold better. And so, you know, I shoot a fairly heavy bow at like, I don't know, probably seven pounds or so. So, I mean, really, every time I'm backpacking in the hills, you know, I've got 50 pounds worth of gear at a bare minimum. Um, that's such the equalizer. The equalizer is weight on your back and, it, and it's elevation, like gaining elevation. Gosh, that takes it out of you. And part of the reason why I just train so darn hard is... Um, just to be ready for those, like fatigue makes cowards of us all. Like, um, you know, when you're fatigued and worn down, you don't feel like going for that stock or pushing that next day back. But, you know, that's where that, that mental strength comes in, um, too. But, but also physical fitness, like knowing your body can take that abuse. And, and, and too, when you're in good physical shape, like, you know, it strengthens you mentally and gives you confidence. But, you know, I think it also like you recover quickly, like and you can deal with more. You can just you, you've, you've taught yourself how to suffer. And so like when you're sleep deprived, you can push past it when you're when, when your body's worn down like a decent night's sleep and you recover. You're not stoved up in the morning or super sore in the morning and you can push like like being in good shape is not just being able to push hard for one day. Being in good shape is being able to push hard for 10 days or for seven days in a row and every day you keep your mood up and and you exert yourself and, and I like to I like to push it but but honestly um I like to be like inside my comfort level so you know I'm usually trying to run in the summertime like six to twelve miles a day and so you know I try to hold myself to that in the in the mountains as well as I try to hold myself to a couple thousand uh, feet gain. And so like how I look at it is 2000 vertical feet gained. And, and that could also be 2000 gained, 2000 loss, but, um, 2000 gained. And then I try to keep my mileage from six to 10 miles a day. And I just know that my mood's going to stay good. I know that I'm going to be strong day after day. I'm not going to be sore. And, and then there's always that, that chance that you redline it and you always redline it like getting into country like a lot of these spots I get into 
you know, they're 12 to 15 miles back and maybe 4,000 feet of elevation gain. And so I know I'm going to redline it getting in there, but I can deal with one day. But then as those days go on and I'm hunting back there, like I, I just try not to push it too far. You know, I, I noticed that when I really redline it and push it too far, like the next day, my mood's even lower, even as good a shape as I'm in and as strong as I try to make myself mentally. And you do have to overcome a little bit of that day to day. Um, but if I stay like right inside that comfort range of exertion, it, it just seems like I am I'm firing hot, like I'm firing off all cylinders every single day. And so I really try to keep to that. But then there's that time where you see a buck where you go, gosh, I'm, I'm going to go for it, you know, and it, it may be, you know, way in the heck over some can, you know, you're going to push your mileage and your elevation for the day. But, but it's worth the risk and you know, you know, you know, tomorrow I can take it a little bit easy, all glassy spots around camp or whatever the situation is. But, um, you, you just, um, so there, there is those days where you have to redline and you have to push past your comfort level and like, like pack out days are always those days, you know, when you're trying to pack out, you know, if you're trying to take your buck plus your camp, you're well over a hundred pounds and, you know, you got to go out 12 to 15 miles, sometimes more and all that elevation. So, you know, you're going to redline it that day, but you've already notched your tag, you've already got your buck, you know you can have a day to recover or you'll be driving home. Um, or even if you have to take your buck out, you know, an 80-pound load with a boned-out buck and then come back and get your camp, it, you know it's not that big a deal to redline because the next day all you got to do is make it in to get your camp. But um, I really try to try to keep to that because I just I, – I hunt – you know, so effectively and efficiently when I, when I charge the mountain every day, you know, when I, when I wake up in that, that good mood and want to go for it. So I really try to keep to that when I'm, when I'm hunting high country muleys is that exertion level, but it's, it's just wild. Cause you know, I, I love hunting mule deer in, in that rough and tough country, you know, up, up, like I say, where goats and sheep live. And I always say it's like a blue collar sheep hunt. And, and I think mule deer are more difficult. I think their instincts are more switched on than a sheep's are, you know, and, and not to, not to downgrade or, or, or bag on sheep or anything like that. Like I think sheep hunts are amazing, but a lot of it's because of the country they live in as far as instincts. And, um, as far as, you know, picking up on you, like uh, hearing you, seeing you, smelling you. Like I, I think a, a mule deer has got a sheep, you know, and I I say that, but I've never hunted sheep. But I, I just, um, I have such respect for the mule deer and their keen instincts in the high country, just evolving from, from thousands of years of avoiding mountain lions, which are, are just like, like cats are some of the sneakiest predators out there, you know? And so like, like mule deer are really good at picking you up and, and they, as they get older and more mature, gosh, their, their instincts get keen and, and everybody's hunting them. Everybody wants a big mule deer. And, and so, you know, it's, I, I say it's blue collar because everybody has the opportunity to chase these giant mule deer. Um, but, but they're, they're not harvested all the time. They're few and far between to try to harvest a 200 inch buck is a real feat. It may take you a lifetime to do it. And so, 
you know, I like that that everybody and not everyone gets a tag, but multiple people get tags in every single unit every year and chase these bucks. And these bucks have to avoid, you know, us bow hunters and then they have to avoid the rifle seasons and the rut, you know, in most states and, and survive that for multiple years in a row growing this huge rack. And, and and then, you know, to be able to find those and to be able to challenge myself up up against a, a quarry like that it, is absolutely amazing. And so that's why I think, you know, hunting high country mule deer is my absolute favorite. But I say that, I mean, hunting with a bow is my absolute favorite. Uh, I, I like all these different challenges and all these different species, you know, and, and while I'm doing it, you know, that's the most fun to me. So it, it, it's tough for me to even say it's the most fun, but I mean, really, you know, my daydreams, my motivation for training, you know, the, the mule deer hunts are the most physically demanding, mentally taxing thing I do, you know, and that includes ultra running, that includes, you know, marathons that I've ran, that, that includes, you know, all my other hunts, like, like, uh, high country mule deer takes it out of me and that's that's why I love it but you know like I say I love bow hunting when it's when it's elk season there's nothing else I'm thinking about but arrowing a big bull and I I enjoy it you know and and when I'm when I'm elk hunting that's the funnest thing I do when I you know I get to go to Hawaii again which I'm so pumped for I just so pumped to see my buddies be able to hunt with them and then those axis deer they just get in your blood like those things are switched on and so when I'm doing that that's the funnest thing I do when I'm hunting antelope in the early season and I'm getting stock after stock in this open prairie after this animal that can see so well that's so tough to try to kill with a bow that's my favorite. So, you know, my favorite is bow hunting, but, um, high country mule deer does have a special place in my heart. And I, I've been hunting high country mule deer. Like I got hooked on it. Like I, um, I, I just, um, I, I fell in love with traveling around and seeing these different places and I could do so with like a three or $400 tag in my pocket. By the time I pay for food and gas, you know, I'm, I'm seven, 800 bucks. I'm definitely under a thousand dollars. Like, like that's a blue collar adventure for me. And to be able to, to challenge myself in, in the steepest rock shoots, Alpen basin, you know, everywhere you look is like a painting. It just takes your breath away. Like that is the coolest place on planet earth to go hunt. And so these high country mule deer, like I've harvested a high country mule deer the last 11 years in a row. So I figured out how to get a tag. I've learned new units, and then I've got in there and harvested a mature high country buck eleven years in a row, which is, um, which is crazy even saying it and thinking about it now. Um, but but I've just figured it out. But you know, it was easier when I started. If if I'm being honest, like like hunting you know, we all have to evolve and adapt like right now, like it's changing before our eyes. There, There's, um, you know, and I, I love the support and we need a, a bunch of bow hunters around and a bunch of hunters around to stick up for ourselves or we'll lose all our seasons, you know, to, to stick up for our public land, stick up for our seasons and, and, and portray bow hunting in the right light, portray hunting in the right light. And so, you know, I really like encouraging guys and I, you know, I, I think even I'm part of the problem. Like, um, you know, anything I do that's really cool, like I, I, I talk about it and I write about it. And so as I've been hunting these high country mule deer, you know, I, I write about how neat it is, how cool it is. Here I am on the podcast telling you guys like, like just how cool these experiences are. And I talk about how to do it and how to get better at it. And, 
And so, you know, I'm creating my own competition, but I'm also creating support for the sport, you know, and a better for the sport. And I've always thought that I share all my knowledge and all my information and help make guys better. And you guys on the podcast reach out to me and help make me better, you know, whether it's with a tip, you know, I've had guys send me stuff like, um, water treatment stuff, uh, to take the taste out of chlorine that you add to your water, um, or not, it's not chlorine you add to your water. What the heck is it? Yeah. Do your water to how you guys are screaming at the podcast right now. Sometimes I can't think of the words that I need to describe what I'm talking about, but you know, when, when you, when you, it, it may be the chlorine that you add to your water, but you add drips to your water. And then, um, I had a buddy from the podcast send me something that then neutralizes the water and takes the taste out of it. So you can, I think it is chlorine tablets, but Anyways, um, you know, sent me that. I've had, you know, guys like Miguel reach out to me when I'm down in Arizona hunting coos deer, want to help me out. Um, you know, uh, uh, we're just building a really good community and I love it. And I've always believed, share all my knowledge and information, make guys better out there and it'll return tenfold to myself. And, and also, you know, I'm always working to evolve you know, my hunting and I, I'm looking to get better and have a higher understanding. So as I write stuff and as I, as I share information, I, I always think I'm taking my own hunting to the next level. And there, there's so many facets that go into being a quality bow hunter or, or being a, a quality high country mule deer hunter, you know, whatever the case. And, and those facets, you know, they, you know, it's not as simple as saying, okay, 20% is your physical fitness. 20% is your mental toughness. 20% is your shooting. 20% is your stalking skills. 20% is your knowledge. Like it's not as simple as that because they, they all work together. You know, they, um, you know, if you're, if you're a good shot, it gives you more confidence in the hills. If you're in good physical shape, you know, it, it makes your mental toughness better. And they, they work together and we all have our strong and weak suits is, you know, I, I try to be good at all of them and I try to work at, at every facet of hunting and there, there, you know, even those, those facets that I mentioned, you know, there's, there's another 10 facets that go into those, you know, each one as you break it down. But I, I do think it's like, it's looking at yourself objectively and where you can improve and, and always trying to improve on your weakness and, and always trying to get better at all these facets to be the most complete hunter you can be. And you know, a lot of guys, like I, I have buddies that will lean heavy on one side or another and not that that's bad. Like you play to your strong suit. So, you know, uh, guys that are, that are really good shots, you know, um, you know, I, Tim Gillingham comes to mind that shoots for gold tip and, and he gets, he, you know, he's a world-class shooter, like a Levi Morgan or a John Dudley or like those guys can shoot with the elite shooters of the world. And, and they've been, you know, bow hunting enough to where they know how to keep their calm on an animal. So, you know, their, their biggest asset is that they can shoot, you know, and so taking some of those longer shots at exact distances, you know, I know Tim Gillingham will get into range and, and he takes longer shots and he harvests, harvests animals consistently. Uh, Miguel Morales, he's, he's another guy that leans heavy on his shooting and, um, you know, if, if those guys get into their effective range, they know they can make that shot and, and me included, you know, I, I feel like I can shoot. I'm not, I'm not at those guys level, but you know, you take anybody with a hunting bow and you step outside on a outdoor target, 3d target, whatever it is. And I feel like I can shoot with them. Like I work hard on my shooting to, to make sure that I can pull off those shots. And, 
and for me, like I, I feel like I'm a, a, a mix of everything. Like I can, you know, I've had to rely on my shooting heavy. Like sometimes it all comes down to making a shot and that, you know, that giant buck is sitting out there at your max effective range or right there. And, and you have to pull yourself together to make that shot. Every, every successful hunt ends in you executing a shot and executing a good shot. I just, I love to, you know, part of the experience for me is, is executing a perfect shot on that animal, giving them a, you know, a quick death, you know, a, a good double lung, good vital shot. And so, you know, I work really hard all year long to try to improve on my shooting, whether it's shooting with buddies, shooting at 3d targets, uh, working on max ranges, um, you know, whatever the case is, um, shooting from different positions, really making sure my bow's fine-tuned. And, and for me, like, I, I'm i fortunate here at my house. I, like, I can shoot every single day, and I can shoot, you know, long yardages every single day. And not that I say long yardages, but right now I'm just, um, I, I'm working on that part of my game again. As, um, I just love how... You know, every little mistake or flaw in your form really shows up. And and you guys have heard me talk like I want to get close and kill that animal, but I want to be 100% confident wherever I'm shooting. And and usually I try to hold my max range to like 60 yards, 65 yards. Like, you know, what? another facet of my hunting is my stalking skill. And I really feel comfortable and confident in my stalking skill that I can get that close. And when I'm that close, I know that that deer's dead. I know I can execute that shot. But um, just trying to improve my shooting skill is also stretching out beyond those yardages. And then it makes those yardages feel so easy. I got to press pause here, you guys. I've had too much coffee here. I'll, I'll pick back up where I left off. So we're on shooting here. Hold on one sec. All right, I'm back. Um, yeah, just drank way too much coffee this morning. It's probably why I haven't taken a breath yet as I've, as I've been talking on the podcast, too. I'm all hyped up. Um, gosh, I just love coffee. I, you know, here at the house or in the mountains or wherever, I love it. But, yeah, uh, talking about shooting and, and just trying to improve every facet of our skill set. And, and shooting is such a major one. Um, and I work on it, like, you know, I... I work on it nonstop, you know, like I say, I, I'm shooting every single day and trying to make them quality arrows, trying to execute my shots the right way. And then, you know, a lot of your shooting skill is practice muscle memory. Um, but, but a lot of it is shooting at game animals. Like there's, it's really tough to describe. Um, it's really tough to articulate like on the podcast, you guys know, because you guys are all bow hunters or hunters, you know how tough it is to execute a shot under that pressure. And it's easy to sit here and talk about it. It's way tougher to do. And and when you're sitting there trying to execute a shot on an animal, um, you're, you're in that fog of adrenaline. Um, you, you draw back and it's almost like a car wreck. Like you can't even remember what you're doing, but you just got to remember those steps. And then you hold your pin on the animal and your pin never holds solid, like on a target, you know, it's always waving around that animal, uh, you know, from on body, off body, on body, off body. And you have that, you, you have like, for some reason, your mind just wants to make that shot go. You want to, it's so difficult to get a shot on an animal that you want to get a shot on an animal so you can get them. But it's 
like um, getting a shot or rushing your shot is a is a recipe for missing. You you have to actually execute your shot. So so shooting at a target and and being a good shot and getting that muscle memory is so important. But it's also important to to get those experiences with animals and with bow hunting. It's tough and especially when you're starting out or even if you're seasoned, you you just you have to work so hard for those opportunities and and they're such fleeting moments they go so quick but it's just learning from them getting really comfortable inside that bow range and shooting at animals and you know i think the the way you do it is is just through experience and and i think it's also like setting your standards there like it's it's tough when you have a good tag to to not hold out and i've talked about trophy hunting and um you know we're it seems like we're, you know, I love the meat and it keeps my family going all year long. Um, I absolutely love wild organic meat. Um, it's what my family lives off of. But I, I still like to put this degree of difficulty. If I was all about the meat, I'd shoot the first spike or two point I came across in the high country. But I like these these challenges. I like trying to challenge myself to hunt a mature deer, trying to challenge myself and, you know, score doesn't matter. I want a mature heavy one. But if I set these standards on myself, like I know what I, you know, I know in my mind what a 180 inch buck looks like. I know how to field judge a 180 inch buck. And so, you know, if I set my standards there, I'm looking for it. It doesn't mean if I shoot a 176, I'm going to be upset. You know, I just like, I just set those standards on myself or this degree of difficulty because also I get more out of my hunt. I get more enjoyment. I know how difficult that task is. And if I can accomplish it, I know I'll be absolutely on top of the world. And so, you know, I'll set these these tough goals on myself. And then, you know, it may take me 10 days to accomplish it. Or, you know, I, I may come home and I, you know, I may not kill that buck. And so, um, you know, maybe a couple of your quests, but my, my point is, is that getting that experience shooting at animals, if you set your standards too high at first, like my good buddy, Dan Heverin, he'll even admit to this, but you know, he's a really good elk hunter. And when he started hunting elk with his bow, you know, he wanted to kill a 350 bull or bust. And so he passed up a lot of opportunities at bulls to go after those 350s, but then he didn't have the skill set to be able to harvest that 350. And so he'd work in and be hunting this giant bull, but he just hadn't killed enough of them with his bow and didn't have that experience at shooting at animals that he'd get close enough. And then, you know, he'd mess up the, the whole situation. He'd get in on that 350 bull and get a shot at it and he'd miss, you know, just because he, he wasn't used to executing an animal. So my, my point is, is that you know, when you set your goals this season with your bow, you have to start over. You can't go after the same quality animals that you've been accustomed to harvesting with your rifle or that, you know, we all get caught up in social media and you see these giant bucks and think, I want to hire, hunt one of these giant bucks. And and that can be your motivation and, and you will harvest one of those bucks. It's just, you know, maybe a multiple year quest where you have to work up to it. And so, you know, like I always say, when setting your standards, you need that experience of harvesting animals and getting that confidence. And and so, you know, set set your standards. If you haven't shot an animal with your bow, just say, I'm going to shoot an animal with my bow. Or if you haven't shot a buck, I'm just going to shoot a buck or, you know, whatever you're happy with. OK, so like a, it may be for mule deer. If you haven't harvested a bunch of them with your bow, it may be the first decent three or four point I see I'm going to harvest. And after you harvest one of those, then you say, OK, now it's got to be a decent four point. I want 150 or 160 inch deer in it. 
you know, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, a a big deer in today's day and age, but harvesting, you know, 160 inch deer with your bow, believe me, your heart's going to be pounding out of your chest. You know, a rack looks really good on a 160 inch mule deer, and it's something you're going to be proud of. So we all have to set our own standards, but shooting at animals is is so important, you know, at, at getting good at that facet, at executing shots on animals. And so... Um, like I say, I'm working on it nonstop, and it's never the same as shooting in your backyard and flip-flops. I talk about shooting these longer ranges as practice. You also got to shoot the short ones. So, um, you know, in your practice, you don't just go shooting long range and, and don't get caught in the trap of shooting long range really good. And then you get in long range of a deer or an elk and you take that shot because it's just not the same. Like I say, it's that fog of adrenaline. And you're usually standing on an uneven slope, which makes it way tougher to shoot. Like, just try this in your backyard. Try to just step on, um, stand on one foot, and then I'll put my other foot on top of that foot. So I'm basically balancing on one foot and try to shoot. Or try to, you know, put your leg up on a stump or a, a chunk of wood or a rock or whatever the case and try to shoot. Like, it's way different. Or try shooting off your knees where most of your shots come from. You're 15 to 20 yards less effective off your knees. You don't have that stabilization of your legs. Um, you know, and so it, it's a lot difficult. It's a lot more difficult, higher degree of difficulty, like shooting at animals than it is a target. But, you know, make sure that you're practicing um, definitely for high country mule deer, make sure that you're practicing your angles. Um, th- those steep angles are so important. Make sure you set your third axis on your bow or you will hit left or right when shooting at a deer downhill. Most of the time, um, let's see, most of the time I shoot right um, if I don't set my third axis on my bow. And I think most right-handed archers will. Um, and it's like, I've explained third, third axis, but just go on YouTube and check out third axis. Make sure that your site has a third axis adjustment and then make sure you set it and practice angles. Like angles are tough to shoot. Like I say, you're 15 to 20 yards less effective when you're on your knees. Yeah. You're probably 20, 25 yards less effective when shooting on steep downhills or uphills. Like it's tough. And, um, so you have to take this all into account and, and that's, like, like I say, you're working on every facet of becoming a better hunter. So you, you've got your shooting, which we just talked about, um, executing there. Um, let's, let's say, you know, your, your physical fitness, um, we touched on it a little bit, but, but being in good shape in the mountains is everything, you know, and it like all these play off each other too. And so this, this physical fitness, it plays right into mental toughness too, you know, and it, and it plays into your confidence too you just have such confidence in your legs and your ability and in a lot of these hunting high country mule deer we'll get more into the tactics of it too if i i'm trying not to make this a two-hour podcast but it seems like every time i get fired up and get on a solo podcast they go long but um yeah uh, physical fitness plays right into your mental toughness and and like um you know, some guys like to look like I was talking to a guy the other day, which is a pretty decent hunter. And, you know, he was saying, well, physical fitness, you know, you don't have to do that to be successful. And and he's absolutely right. You could lean hard on these other skills and you, you don't have to work on your physical fitness to be successful. You could, you know, and there's so many other tools that you can use, you know, whether, you know, you're, you're, you're using, you know, I always say when I get older, I'm, I'm going to be more intelligent and smarter and have a better game plan than everybody else, you know, where I'll still exert myself, but, you know, I'm just going to be smarter about it. But, um, 
it, it's like if don't you want to do everything in your power to be a better hunter why would you ignore such a huge piece to the puzzle for me like it's just um you know and and i do like one of my buddies ryan williams um you know he doesn't work out he's he's like that old school like guys don't work out he doesn't work out he doesn't jog but the guy is in the mountains non-stop like he loves being in the mountains so he just uses the mountains as his training he also works really hard he's got a construction job that's physical and so he's working eight ten hours every single day in his construction job like ryan's in great physical shape like he never has a problem keeping up with me um, also he has youth on his side as we get older we have to work harder to be in in good shape um, but you know he's got youth he's got his work and then he's always in the mountains and so you know that's what he uses for workouts and and I heard like um, Remy Warren talk one time like I think on a podcast and he was saying he doesn't work out and he believes like when he's hunting he has like eight ten hours of exertion in the mountains climbing up mountains with packs and so you know he can't get that type of workout um in an hour or whatever and so he just hunts but you know again that guy spends tons of time in the mountains like he's always in the mountains and 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 so you know do you have to work out no you don't but I I just um I see it as an edge for me. Like I get a mental edge from it. I get a physical edge from it. And when you're hunting, like I can sustain a pace, but you never know when that time comes. And it it will come where you have a buck or you have a bull and you have to make it to them. And and you have to put on a pace that that is absolutely at your your max ability. And 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 you don't know when that time's going to come, but guaranteed it happens every time to me every season you know almost every species or I won't say every species but there's a lot of times where I got to cut things off or I got to close the distance and I'm pushing as fast as I can possibly push to make it there and that can be the key to getting that animal or not I had a a really good buck in Wyoming and um this um this was one of my favorite seasons hunting i hunted with um dan again we do a lot of these hunts together and we had drawn colorado and wyoming in the same year and um so we hunted colorado dan harvested a really nice buck there um a big front buck he got it like i don't know maybe day four or five or something like that and i i was hunting i gosh there was a couple bucks that went over 200 inches one with big fronts and one with big backs and I love both of those bucks. God, they were just stellar bucks. And so I was trying to hunt those two bucks and, and trying to kill one of them. And, and I got some good plays on them. Man, I got close. Um, and yeah, I had um, the last day we were in there, I I got into bow range of that one with big fronts and just 30 inches wide, giant 14-inch fronts and good backs to heavy older deer. Just a dream buck. And, um, I played it right. I got into range and I, I think I got into like, you know, it's been a few years, but I think I got into like 60, 70 yards. Um, and I got into this clump of trees and I just sat there and I waited and I had a good wind. And after about an hour, the bucks got up and they started feeding right towards me. And then I had this buck at like 50 yards, 55 yards. So I say like you're a hundred percent confident you can make the shot. I mean, this buck was dead. No idea I'm there or anything. And I draw back and and settle my pin and I execute a good shot 
and that buck jumped my string like it it uh you know not like mule deer jump a string different than a whitetail because also you're shooting at different distances right at 50 yards he's got time to get out of the way and so the deer bent down and and then turned downhill and and my arrow like went and grazed right by the front of him as he rolled out of the way of my arrow just totally matrix my arrow and so you know i didn't harvest that buck in colorado and we were getting so late on the hunt um, you know, I just told Dan, I said, well, you know, let's, we got your buck on ice. We got to take care of it. Like, let's get to, let's get to Wyoming. And so I didn't harvest a buck in Colorado and we went to Wyoming and it was tough in Wyoming. I'll talk about this too, as, as times change, like these, these bucks go to secondary living or they go to secondary living due to pressure. And so we got to Wyoming, this place we had scouted and there should have been mule deer everywhere. We had scouted, got a, we scouted a buck that went 220, 230, you know, with extras everywhere. And we had, we had, um, we had scouted another buck that went 38 or 40 inches wide, but we got there and there was no bucks in any of these places we had scouted. And we had seen, you know, literally hundreds of bucks in these couple locations. So we backpacked into this one location, couldn't find what we wanted, uh, backed out of there, went into the second spot I had scouted and went in there and we started hunting. And we finally started finding these bucks and they were just lower in these avalanche shoots and slides. And, um, we were getting down to the end of the hunt in there, you know, at the end of our time, we had hunted like 16 or 17 days in a row, like these two different states. Like I, I just remember sleeping in the dirt that many days. I was just exhausted. But um, here we sat on one of our last evenings and glassed across and saw this this big, heavy, hard-horned buck that it, that had uh, rubbed his velvet. And um, it was one of those questions, can you make it to him before dark? And he was in a good spot. I told Dan, I'm just going to put a 10K pace on him. And so I went light. And I, I ran the whole way around the mountain, came up over top with time, and he was right down there, made a play, put just a perfect arrow in him. But he disappeared from my view. I knew I'd put a good shot on him. And Dan watched the whole thing go down from our vantage point. So, you know, it was getting dark at that point, or it was, you know, really close. And so I didn't want to push that buck, wanted to give him time. So I just came back to Dan, and I said, um, I said, yeah, I put an, put an arrow in him, and Dan said, and Dan said, yeah, no doubt. I I watched him run down the mountain, then tip over and fall down, roll down the hill. I just remember how elated I was, like 16, 17 days in a row hunting these bucks, and and then to be able to harvest this buck. And I got up to him, and yeah, you know, I thought it was a good 175 inch mule deer, but he had like such a big ear spread on him, and he was such a big body Wyoming deer. I got to him, and he grew as we got to him. Like I thought he was 175 inches. I think he ended up being 191 inches like just a monster mule deer but I only killed that buck because of that pace I could put on him because of that physical fitness you know so it's so important and you don't know when you're gonna have to count on it or when you're gonna need it so um physical fitness you know like I say that's another giant facet into becoming a better hunter is is um just being able to push and um having your body ready for the you know the grueling mountains or the strain that the mountains will put on you um you know and and so another facet going into it is mental toughness and and um you know you guys have heard me I did a whole podcast on mental toughness and my thoughts on it but this is you know this is part of my game that I am always trying to improve on that you know you, any of these could be the most important facet you never know which one you're going to have to count on but you're definitely going to have to count on mental toughness like um it it just doesn't come easy in the mountains you're going to have to push and go um 
you know, I, you're, you're going to have to count on it. Like day after day, you have to get yourself up. You have to not give up. You have to, you know, go that extra mile, do everything in your power to try to harvest that deer. If you see him a ways off, you have to go for him, but you have to just rely on yourself being able to, to see through tough times, um, mental toughness, you know, it, it doesn't always go perfect. Like that shot in Colorado, that buck that jumped my string, I had that thing dead to rights and jumped my string. Like that is tough on you mentally. When you've been grinding for seven, eight days in Colorado, you finally get your opportunity and, and then you execute a good shot and that buck jumps your string. Like you almost feel like trying to get another stock or get in range of another buck. It, it feels like mission impossible. Like I've just worked eight days to get into range of this thing. How, how do I ever expect to get in range of another mule deer you know when I have a day left or you know whatever the case is but you just got to keep going and keep believing in yourself and and I I rely heavy on my mental toughness and 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 part of that you're not born with mental toughness mental toughness is something that's learned it's something that's um achieved it's it's something that you have to work on and and the only way to improve your mental toughness is to put yourself in in bad situations or tough situations or have to rely upon it and, and know that you can pull through. And I, you know, I learned a lot in, in wrestling when I was young, that mental toughness, that, that fear of having to face another man, like one-on-one and have your entire school watching, you know, like all the, the girls that you're chasing around high school, they're watching you wrestle. And if you get embarrassed out there, you know, not only in front of girls, but in front of your peers and your coaches. And I mean, to get embarrassed out there, to get, outclassed um yeah that hurts and you got to pick yourself back up from that and and so you know trying to prepare yourself for that and then also like trying to make weight and trying to cut weight and then just the training that that that's involved of trying to be a, a top level athlete like you just train non-stop and if you you know it's where I learned like um you know what you put into something is what you get out of it and so like I learned like the that effort equals success and you're given whatever you're given genetically like you're given you know some people are naturally talented but it, it's all what you do with it like how hard you work and I found out that you know, the more I lifted weights, the more I ran, the more I, you know, uh, go early to wrestling practice, stay late, you know, do, you know, not only um, folk style like the the high school style, but doing freestyle and Greco-Roman, put more time on the mat, just more practices. Like I learned, that's where I learned those lessons of hard work. You know, not only that, but then, you know, those just transfer into life, into construction and, and being able to be the most knowledgeable. You're, you're always you're not always the most knowledgeable on the crew, but you're paying attention and learning all the time. You're trying to gather information and then you're working hard day in, day out like that gets noticed and you move up with any job, with anything in life, you know, and it's it's not, you know, it, it you know. The world isn't perfect and not everything is fair and sometimes you don't get rewa- you know, rewarded for hard work or people don't pick up on it every day. But eventually, if you keep putting in that hard work, like people take notice, good things happen. That's it's what I found in my life. Like like um, you know, how how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? And so I want to be a really good bow hunter, but I also want to be a good family man. I want to be good at construction. I want to be good. So like I, you know, being good at all these things, you know, has, has taken work, but it it all it all ties back to that to that mental toughness. That attitude is so important on a hunt. Like you just don't let yourself get down. Like to get down to give up. Like um you know, that's, that's failure to me. And, and, 
a lot of these hunts, they're tougher when you get on them than what you expect. You, you know, you expect you're just going to go into this, your first choice spot, and you're going to go find a buck and put a stock on them and kill them. It doesn't always work out that way. Like last year in Idaho, I got this filming opportunity for Eastman's. Like, um, I didn't see a buck for like the first five days. <laughs> like a high country mule deer is what I do, but I, I just have such mental toughness and such belief in myself and in my skills. And I, I know that if I keep traveling country and I keep going, like eventually I'm going to find a buck. And so, you know, the, the first five days I didn't see anything, or maybe it was day five or day six or whatever the case was, you know, finally able to locate, you know, a basin that had some bucks and I was able to put a stock together and kill a nice 180 inch deer. Like, um, that's, that's what mental toughness gives me. That's what my mental strength gives me. And so, you know, I'm, uh, again, I'm trying to take all of these facets to this next level, this next place, because, <clears throat> excuse me. So I'm, I'm trying to take it to this next level or this next place. And you guys have heard me like how I want to improve at the podcast, how I want to improve at my hunting, but mental toughness, it's, it's something that I, that I really want to work on and, and get better and just, you know, take it to this next level beyond what even I think is possible just to where, you know, when I do get on these tough hunts, I just keep putting the effort in and, and eventually like things come together. And, and in today's day and age, I talked about this a little bit, but it's, it's not as easy as it was when I started, when I started hunting high country mule deer, there wasn't many guys doing it and definitely not many guys writing about it or telling you how to do it. Like I had to learn it all, but I also got really good units and really good tags and there wasn't much pressure up there. Things are changing. Like, um, high country mule deer has gotten popular. You know, there's more guys trying to harvest them and harvesting them with their bow on a consistent basis. And so, you know, tags are tougher to get. Like some of these tags now take six, seven, eight points that I would get for zero, one, two points, you know. And so I have to find new places and new units. I got to keep evolving. Like I got to make myself better so I can continue to find success. And, you know, guys, there's still great hunting to be had out there there's still great high country spots that nobody's in that you can get to um you know there the deer also like i think that they they don't keep that lax alpine attitude as long anymore like when i first started like it was like nobody was doing it and these bucks were like you were hunting them in june or july like um nowadays when you go into these spots like wyoming you know the bucks used to wait to go into secondary living until around september 10th now you get in there september 1st all those bucks are in their secondary living and i you know i used to say it's the food burning off and its conditions but i really think it's the pressure and even Nevada, like some of these spots I've hunted, it opens August 10th. The The bucks act different August 10th than they do August 1st. Like it's a, you know, it it's evolving right around us and we have to evolve with it to be able to keep up. And and I think like, um, you know, you, you got to learn new places, new units, be able to find tags that are easy to get tags. And, and then in the high country, I think it's evolving too. And the secondary living or these, they're higher pressured mule deer in that alpine environment. And I think they're getting down into the secondary living. Like I talked about in Wyoming, the avalanche shoots just down from there, the, the little openings just down from the tops of those alpine basins. And, and so I think you, you work those main ridgelines and alpine basins, but then you have to get down and drop elevation. You got to drop a thousand feet or 1500 feet down like a, like a spur ridgeline and then get down there in glass and, and then you start picking up more bucks. So it's, it's evolving right around us and we just have to evolve with it. 
if we're going to continue to be at the top of our game. And so, you know, mental toughness is a big one for me. And, and so it's learned, it's, it's a skill that's achieved. It's, it's not something that you can just flip a switch, but it is a decision you make to be more, uh, mentally tough to be able to see your way through bad situations. You know, for me also, you know, it, it, it's hunting hard and, and, and it's drawing from these tough hunts that I've had in the past, these tough mule deer hunts that I've had in the past, tough elk hunts where I've had 20 days into killing a bull. Like I draw from those experiences. I know I'm capable of it. And so I draw from it and I also get them from, you know, my runs. Like, um, not only on my run, making one foot go in front of the other, but making myself get out on the run day in and day out. Like that's one of the most difficult things. Like there's always an excuse. There's always something else you can be doing, but to actually make the time and then make yourself get out there on the trail, make yourself go pound out a thousand feet in elevation or pound out an eight mile run or 10 mile run. Like that takes mental strength. And if I can make myself do that day after day, like I know I can make myself hunt hard when it's all on the line and I'm on a 10 day hunt I know I can go hard for 10 days and and so you know it's it's one of those facets that I think is so important to our hunting and and even for me I'm just trying to take it to the next level so mental toughness like see I I just uh there's just um so many tangents that go into to being a a quality bow hunter and and I think that's why I love it it's so difficult to do you know that you it it takes all your effort and yeah you know we have to make money and we have to you know do good at our jobs and be a good family man but to be a good backcountry hunter like you have to live eat sleep and breathe it you got to think about it all the time you got to train for it and um so it's part of the reason why I love it but Along with that, like another facet that goes into hunting is your is your stalking skill. Um, you know, not only your stalking skill, but your ability to read situations and 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 be able to know when's the right time for the stalk. And I, you know, I talk about um, you know this this higher level that it's for the wind. It's this higher understanding of your thermals and your directionals and and being able to read them and pay attention to them day in day out of what the wind's doing. And I always like when I'm in the mountains, I'm always taking tabs on the wind. Well, what's it doing here? Well, when I dive down in this coulee, what's it doing? there and so um you know i've talked about directionals and thermals a bunch on the podcast because this is a major component to being a better uh bow hunter is being able to read these winds and it, it is it's like this higher understanding of the winds and so the directionals you know, you usually have a dominant wind direction, like here in Montana, it's usually southwest wind. And so day in, day out, usually the directionals will blow, blow southwest. Now you do get, you know, when we get a cold front coming in, it'll change and come out of the north or, you know, there can definitely be variations day in, day out. I've been in some mountain ranges where some days it's southeast, some days it's southwest, but it's, it's paying attention to those and kind of learning them. And you can also, if you have cell phone coverage, you, you can pull up um, like the forecast and then be able to, it'll tell you like what the, the winds are, you know, what they're predicting the winds are going to do and how hard they're going to blow. And so you can kind of count on that too. And you want to kind of hunt with those winds. And, and so that dominant wind direction or prevailing winds 
Um, it's usually fairly calm in the morning and then they pick up and then they're pretty steady by the afternoon and the afternoon is a great time to stalk a mule deer. What the wind also does is it also makes makes less sound or it muffles your sound and so the deer with those big ears, they've got wind blowing through it, the grass is rustling like they can't hear you as well, which is one of their, their major senses. So I always love stalking in the afternoons, but it's it's reading those directionals and then it's also playing the thermals. And the thermals, so as the sun hits the valley floor or warms up the valley, that air warms and then it goes uphill and it finds its way up through uphill through canyons and draws and coolies. And so that air will start to rise up. The, the air will rise up as long as um, the sun shines out and keeps that air warm. It'll warm up throughout the day until that, that starts to get shaded. And once that starts to get shaded up on top of the mountain or up in those draws, that air starts to cool and then it starts to drop. Now, if you get a storm in or a rain shower, it clouds over, it gets cool, that air cools and then it drops. And so you have a downhill thermal. Uh, also in the morning, you know, it's cooler. Um, you know, and, and most of that valley floor is shaded or most of those draws are shaded and it takes that sun being on it to warm up. And so usually those thermals will switch around anywhere from eight to 10 o'clock. They'll start from going downhill. They'll start going uphill and then more consistent, like, um, a good, a good, uh, thermal wind would be like, um, the, uh, like during like a hot afternoon sunshine day, you know the those thermals are coming uphill, and so you know you can read those winds. And if you can get those winds working to together, like then you just know your money as far as winds concerned. But it's this higher understanding uh, of the winds and what they're doing, and it takes paying attention day in day out to what they're doing. And then when you see a deer in a situation, you can go, okay, I know where the directional is coming. I know what the thermals are doing right now. I know this hillside because I've been on. It. I know I can make this stock from this direction on this buck and and sometimes you you get above a buck or you're making a stock on it and the wind changes it's so hard to back out on a buck but that's the right move to do is is just don't blow them out like you just you can't cheat their nose and you know I've done it before gosh I've I've tried to cheat the wind so many times I can't even tell you like you should learn your lesson every time and I know my lesson now but there's no doubt in my mind that I'll make a mistake on the wind in the future it's just it's you know, it's it's not always a perfect science too. In the mountains, the the winds will swirl around. I hate hunting like bucks or, or bulls on the lee wind side, and that's where the directional blows hard against the face, and you're hunting on the back side as the whirl the wind just gets over there and swirls around. And I've got some spots spots I just can't even hunt um, because they're on the lee wind side, and every time I get in there, I get winded. And so lee wind sides can be difficult to hunt. But, you know, it, it, it always pays to just be, to, to be able to, to back out and then hunt that buck another day and make that, that stock true, you know, or get that wind better. But, um, that stocking skill is such a, a major facet of just knowing when and how to move on these animals, you know, when, when is the right time to, to make your play and to make your stock and, um, you know, my, my favorite situation on mule deer, um, is I, I love to have a great vantage point in the morning, find the buck I want to shoot and just watch them feed. Um, I'll usually watch him bed down in the morning, nine to 10 o'clock, somewhere in there. He'll bed down. I know he's not going to be in that bed for a while. And so usually I'll opt to have better winds, better directional winds in the afternoon. And, and also like a lot of these bucks will bed twice. They'll bed in their first bed and then, 
you know, mid-morning, they'll get up and they'll feed again, and then they'll move up higher to a different bed. And then once they're in that higher bed, you know, I know they're probably going to be there for a couple hours or for the afternoon until they come out for evening. You know, that's when I'll make my place. So that's my preferred method. But, you know, also... Um, you got to be, you got to think outside the box on these things. Like um, sometimes it's, it's better to ambush them, to, to set up where you think they're going to feed out. Um, you know, sometimes there's, there's bucks in positions where you can't get to this buck or get a shot at him on his bed or, you know, so you, you may opt to, you know, uh, uh, set up um, like in striking distance within a couple hundred yards and wait for this buck to come out and then make a play down on him, you know, when he comes out in the afternoon, evening feeding. There's there's so many different plays that go into it. And I, you know, once I get in range of a buck, I'll make my, my game plan, but I try never to force the issue. I always want to let that buck make the last move. And what I mean by that is you'll get into a buck that's bedded behind a tree. Instead of me trying to get around that tree and get narrow in that buck, like all of a sudden I'll just get into range and I'll just wait. And I'll let that buck stand up and walk out unaware of my presence. And then I'll try to pull off my shot. But I love those moves. I have I have never thrown a rock and had it work out. Um, some guys have and it works out. It's almost like forcing the issue trying to think where I forced an issue on a stock before where I had to make it happen you know I um but it but it's like forcing the issue throwing a rock throwing a stick trying to whistle make a noise you're trying to get that buck up and you know sometimes it may work out and and a lot of times it won't but that's just not my move I like to I always say patience kills the buck you know when watching him and waiting to make a play but also when waiting for a a shot like patience kills the buck and you get comfortable stalking these these deer and comfortable inside range and you you learn when you can move and and when you can't and you you never stalk recklessly like you'd never cross a meadow down below this buck where he can possibly see you or you you just don't want to risk or gamble your stock like you finally got an opportunity you you want to give your yourself absolutely the best chance to harvest this deer so if you can't cross and get around this buck you just wait you wait for another day you wait for you know uh, that evening you wait for another chance because that buck will make a mistake you just got to be there to capitalize and if you go in headstrong and rush your stock and spook that thing out of there you know now you got to go find another buck it may take you you know you may find another one that evening or it may take you a couple days to find one so um you you never stalk recklessly and then you just get comfortable like stalking inside a range like i love to move in the shadows the shadows really hide you where the sun shows your movement And, and then it's just it's ultra slow once you get to that range and and um inside that that 200 yards like I'll move quick to get into position of a buck like if I got to move around the backside of a mountain like I don't want to take three hours to move there because a buck may be gone by the time I get there and a lot of these stocks you know I'm I'm looking over a long ways away sometimes they're you know the buck can be over an hour away but I will rush it to get into position and then I'll slow down Uh, and it just it's just giving me the best odds and the best chance that buck's still there and then once I get inside 200 yards, like it's it's just like it's like the hands of the clock. It's so methodical and slow on these mule deer and on any animal. Really, when you're stalking with a bow and you're getting to that red zone, you just don't want to let them know you're there. And and I I love like stalking shoes. Like um, you know I I'm gonna make sure I I pack mine with me this year. 
Um, so I, I, I really like like those those minimalist running shoes because the rubber's on the bottom and the rubber sticks to the rock and you don't slide and your feet don't get too hot standing on them. And like also wool socks, like those pebbles, they, they hurt like hell when you step on them. And then also like on steep slopes, wool socks do not stick to the slope. You want to slide off it. I've also been using those, um, Rimrock stalkers, uh, Travis Nowitney, that's his company or his, um, he came up with those things. Those things are quality stocking shoes as well. They're a little softer they are like a wool sock, but they strap to your feet so you don't slide as much. So either those minimalist shoes I really like or Travis's rim rockers, rim rock stockers, those things are good. But just having some stocking shoes where you can really quiet down. And I've also, I've killed a lot of things in tennis shoes too, uh, if I'm being completely honest. Like I, I can stock in tennis shoes and really being quiet, like those stocking shoes do help. And I are, I am going to carry them and use them every time I can this season, but but really, it's about learning how to slow yourself down, slow down your footfalls, and and your brain's trying to rush you on that stock. But that's when you get in close like that. It it really is about slowing down, slow movements, uh, keep to the shadows, and then just never giving yourself away. Like you don't expose yourself to those bucks. Don't give them a chance to catch you. Um, you know, you just you you just try to to play it you just play it safe all the time and then once you're in range i mean now that that executing a shot but there's there's all these little movements these little nuances to to being in close to animals that it's really only learned through experience like you like i guess hearing it like on a podcast you pick up on it and learn from it and then put it in practice sure um or, or even like me like thinking about something and then putting into into practice you bet but experience is the best teacher and uh so you get inside those range and there's little nuances like um how to move your bow and and how to get a good range getting a good range is so important and so overlooked like a guy should practice with his rangefinder all the time shooting through grass and shooting different objects because getting a good range it is such a huge part of executing a good shot and this is where a lot of my mistakes have came too is is having a bad range and missing that animal like um you know if if you've got a bad range even by three or four yards you're gonna miss so it's so important to get a good range, but these little nuances of of how you move your bow and then drawing back really slow, you know, being able to get a good range, you know, just not getting picked off or not letting that buck pick up your movement and also reading that deer that you're hunting when his head's down feeding is your time to move slow and nothing's fast or hurry. Like I see a lot of mistakes with young bow hunters where they try to bro- draw their bow and then walk around the bush or they try to, you know, there's really a big movement when they they draw their bow or um you know they're just like big fast quick movements and that's like none of those uh you you, you don't want to do any of that when when in tight on a game animal game animals pick up on movement and if you move slow and steady i mean best case scenario the deer never knows you're there you get a good range bow drawn back and place a perfect shot but even if they do pick up a little something if you're moving really slow a lot of times you'll get away with it so all your movements need to be really slow but you know there too is you you know, I want to be patient. Patience kills the buck. You want to wait for the right angle, the right time to draw, the right time to make the shot. But there's also a time to execute too. There's a time, you know, when that 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 
you got to take your opportunity. Like sometimes your opportunity can slip between your fingers. Like where you you see a shot at a buck and you go, oh, I'm gonna wait a second, or I'm I'm gonna get a little closer. You know, I'm just trying to think of this scenario. Like you have to be looking to kill that animal too. Like a lot of times, if you dilly dally in there and you're in bow range, like it can blow up on you. Like so if you, you, you wait for the right opportunity, but you have to seize the moment when you see that right opportunity too. When you have that broadside look and that broadside shot at that deer, you have to take it. That's what you're there for. Um, so it's, it is, it's like looking for that opportunity and seizing it when it comes, but not forcing it. So it's like a fine line. It's, it's like, there are no hard rules. Like it's just learned. And I think, you know, it's one of the things that, that we, that we don't consider much is our stalking skill. And, and so, you know, I, trying to improve on this facet of your hunting is getting more opportunity, more stocks, you know, also thinking about it. It's learning from your mistakes when they do happen, learning from it and trying to get better. And again, it comes down to experience. Like I, I think it'd be worth it for, for most guys to like, come out west and get a couple white-tailed doe tags. Like, I, I know that really improved my skill. And, okay, so it's, you you get excited when shooting at an animal, and then it seems like um, all of a sudden, you know, you, you get real comfortable shooting at animals and, and being in bow range, and you learn those nuances. And so, like, even coming out west and buying a couple white-tailed doe tags, hunting a couple white-tailed does where you're at, and instead of doing it out of a tree stand, doing it spot and stock, um, hunting antelope, you guys have heard me talk about that. Antelope tags out west are such great ones. They usually open in August. They're they're usually fairly easy tags to get with a bow and arrow. And you just get so many stocks. And so it just teaches you what you can do and, and what you can get away with and what you can't. And also, like when you're this goes back to setting your standards and setting your goals, like setting your goal buck. If you set it too high, you're not gonna get any stocks, or you may get one stock a season or two stocks a season, where if you set your standards down at a decent four point or decent three or four point, you know, you're gonna get a bunch of stocks on animals and and you're you're going to get chances to be in that bow range and improving that skill set and improving that skill set. You know, that's, that's the answer, the key to killing, you know, those, those giant mind blowing, you know, bucks and bulls that we're all after. It's improving your skill set to, to a point to where then you can go in the woods and confidently chase these 200 inch mule deer, these, you know, I, and I say 200, inch, I don't mean to always say inches as it isn't about the inches, but these mature six, seven year old mule deer, that's, you know, you've got the skill set and the experience behind you and, and the confidence to know that you can go in the mountains and kill one of these. And so that's the key is getting that experience. Um, also like a stalking skill so i'm so pumped here like i go to hawaii i think i leave in like two three weeks um i'm I'm just so fortunate this is better than i deserve this is like a like this dream life or world that i'm living like like even um being able to travel to this tropical place and hunt over the pacific and these axis deer are so switched on and there's a lot of them so you get a lot of chances at stocks but they're really tough to harvest. They're so switched on. Um, they'll jump your string like none other. They're so quick. They they don't put up with anything. You can't make any mistakes on them. Um, so, I mean, to be honest, this is improving my stalking skill. And I get to go hang out with my Hawaiian buddies and go chase these axis deer. I know I'm going to get stalks on these mature bucks. And I know I'm going to get chances inside bow range and chances to execute shots. And I, I get to hunt doe axis out there, buck axis, also get to hunt goats. But I get all these chances and opportunities to to 
to be in close proximity, close range to be stalking these animals, like that improves my skill. Like I can't, I can't tell you how much it improves my skill. Like, like that's the key to me being successful is to just keep learning, getting stocks, you know, versus like, like bear season. Yeah. I've got one stock on one chocolate this year, but you know, if I get a couple, two, three stocks, like that's a good year where out there, I, you know, I may get 10 stocks. I may get 15 stocks. I, I may get 20 on different animals. Like that's amazing experience. That's priceless for me. But and I am just so fortunate that I that I've got really good friends out there, and that I get to go out there and get to experience experience hunting that a lot of guys will, you know, never get to experience. Like that Hawaii is so neat to me, and I like I'm I'm just so fortunate I get to be able to do that and take my family. But you know that improves on my stalking skills. So make sure you guys are thinking about that as you're coming into season to try to work an antelope hunt in early. Try to work in some doe tags, whether it's mule deer. Like I know, you know, some of our mule deer in some places in Montana, they give these doe tags, these bee tags. You know, what great experience with a bow in your hands to be able to harvest these and and the adrenaline does get ramped up like pretty soon you know um you'll start to execute really good on does and then you'll get a giant buck out in front of you and you'll forget everything you've learned and so you've got a it's something that you have to keep progressing and keep learning but you know and even even me sitting here saying this like I have you know I've shot and executed on 200 inch bucks I've also missed 200 inch bucks like I get rattled like when uh, it's something I've been thinking of for 365 days a year and I finally found this giant buck and I've been watching him for days and then I execute the stock and I get into range and that buck stands up and he's walking out and I'm finally going to get this opportunity and who knows how many miles and how many drips of sweat I put into it like I can't help but get excited like I I have to calm myself down I have to take deep breaths and I have to remember my execution you know remember those small steps um you know, and, and, and don't get too excited. Like try not to get too excited. We'll say like part of the hunting is getting exciting. Like it is in our DNA, like being in bow range, there is something that directly ties to our ancestors and hunting and procuring meat for our family and our, our tribe or whatever. There, there is something directly correlated to it. Cause I have, I've never felt anything like that, like that adrenaline rush, like getting into that close proximity of that animal, like, man, that is built into our DNA, but it's being able to be cool as the backside of the pillow when you get that chance, like being cool and collective and, and, uh, think clearly and, and breathe. And, and there's a time to get excited. The time to get as excited as is after you put that perfect arrow into that animal or after it's all said and done, you know, or when you recover that animal, like the, the, you know, it's, it is exciting to get into bow range of it. And, and like, I can't help that, but I, I'm just trying to collect myself in those moments and make the right moves. Um, try, you know, feels like you can feel your heart beating in your head and, um, just got to take some deep breaths and focus on the spot you need to hit. And then like when you're executing on animals, you know, I was saying like your pin doesn't hold, like it starts floating all around. Like for me, the key is to just give it time. Like my pin will settle on that animal. So it's just not, try not to execute that shot when your pin just hits the vitals and make it go. Like that's the wrong move for me. The right move is to let my pin settle and my pin will wander, you know, from on that, that deer you know, from the vitals up high, low, left, right, and it's swimming a little bit. And then it starts to just calm down and find its spot on that animal. And then, you know, that's where I start executing my shot and it breaks. And it's like, I, I know when my shot breaks under those circumstances, that's a, that's a perfect shot and a dead deer, you know? So for me, the key is to just take my time. Like, and it's not even, 
that much time. We're talking about milliseconds or maybe seconds of letting my pin settle. But, you know, that's a big key for me is just letting everything settle and then executing my shot. Um, but, yeah, that's, so stalking, another another major facet of it. So well, we've talked mental toughness. We've talked physical toughness. Um, we've talked stalking. We, we've talked um, shots. So another another facet is just our knowledge and our game plan and, and um, it, you know, being able to find these good locations and find these bucks, um, being able to strategize, you know, and, 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 you know, a lot of this ties back into scouting units and scouting on, on Google Earth and maps and, um, you know, it's tough. I, you know, I, I look for these different mountain ranges that I'm going to hunt, but, you know, a lot of it is boots to ground too, um, you know, I... I'm pretty good at reading country because I've hunted so many different mountain ranges for a high country mule deer in so many different states that, you know, I can start to see, you know, where good feeding features are. And I, you know, I, I look for a bunch of bold basins or I look for main ridge lines and I, I'm basically looking for good bright green feed that sits on the tops of those mountains and, and then how I'm going to, how I'm going to view it, what my vantage points are going to be. And, and it doesn't always work out. And like I say, with things changing with these mule deer, a lot of times, um, you know, the, these bucks are, they're not living at the tops of the mountains and easy to see like they would be in scouting in June and July. Like they're, they're starting to feel the pressure and they're, you know, the pressure of bow hunters are just people being in country or, you know, they, they just start to move to that secondary feeding earlier, it seems like. And that secondary living, they're tougher to find in there. They drop down into more timbered country. They drop down off those top open basins, you know, and they're a thousand feet down, 1500 feet down these spur ridge lines. And, um, so, so we kind of got to evolve our tactics as, as more people are doing it. And these deer, you know, they're, they're wisening up to, to our tactics in the season. And, and, um, so they're starting to drop down. And like I say, even in Nevada, you know, I hunt a fairly high pressured spot and I'm able to get away from the pressure in there. And, and this year I may be hunting a totally new mountain range in Nevada, but the spot I have been hunting, I've hunted a couple different units there, but this most recent spot I've been hunting, it's a lot of pressure and the deer, even though it's August 10th, they're not living in those alpine basins up there. I mean, they're up high and they're up in green feed, but they're they're off that main ridge line down these spur ridge lines. And sometimes you got to drop a thousand or two thousand feet in elevation, and, and then you find these bucks hanging out, you know, in these spots. And so, like, um, y- your knowledge is, is in in your game plan. It, it, it's such a, a, a big key to success as well. Like, like all these facets I've talked about are just so important and, and, and they're, they're all what combine to make us good hunters. And it's, we have to work on all of them to improve ourselves and to, you know, to, to get ourselves to that next level to, you know, to be able to harvest consistent game or these, these bigger trophies, you know, I think that's the key, but, um, knowledge is definitely a big one. Like, um, just, just learning where animals are, always having a backup plan like um and and you you have to have confidence in the spot you're at like it's so easy to walk into a spot and be thinking you should be somewhere else or you know you haven't seen a deer and so you're just not giving it your full effort like like part of the part of the way this works is like, um, believing in your spot. Like, even if I have a spot, I'm going to go scout. You got to give it everything you have. You got to go traverse mountains and, and look into different basins and different drainages and always think you're going to be seeing a deer. And, and two, like you can, 
you can duff a lot of opportunities. You can mess up a lot of opportunities by just not believing there's deer there. Like instead of, you know, crawling up over a ridge line and then setting up in, in glassing and making sure that nothing sees you silhouetted, that's the right move to make. The wrong move to make is like, oh, I haven't seen a deer. Like I'm going to go see what's in this basin. And you just go walk over the top. And instead of glassing as you're walking over the top, you just walk to this rock point that you see because you can glass the whole basin from there and so you walk there and you sit down on that thing and then you see this buck bounding away from you because you just skylighted yourself like it's always believing they're there and and it's one thing I need to improve on too is as I'm moving from location to location if I'm in good mule deer habitat I need to slow down like I always am on the go and I want to see the next basin and I you know I'm always like moving quick like I need to be better at really slowing down moving in between these spots and capitalizing on these opportunities where you know you may spot a buck as you're traveling along a ridge line or something um always glassing you know every time a, a new feature is exposed to you you're glassing it every time you can see something new you're looking at it and just always believing you're going to see an animal um you know like I say on those ridge lines you know, crawling over the top, not skylining yourself. When you're traversing a ridgeline, you don't travel the top of the ridgeline. Like, get on the back side of it and, and traverse there. Like, like these little things, they... You never know when you're you're going to be walking a ridgeline and all of a sudden you got a giant buck that's bedded right in front of you that has no idea you're there where if you're hustling through country and blow them out of there or spook them, you never get a chance at them. And, and so, you know, a lot of the... A lot of hunting these, these bucks up there... You know, you you just have to you have to be able to capitalize on any opportunity that comes your way and, and really believe that they're there. And that goes for spots that you're hiking into. You know, you always have a backup plan, but you're you're not always you don't want to run from one plan to the next, you know, unless you have to, but you want to go in and give that spot your hundred percent and make sure there's not a big buck in there. You wanna give it your all, believe they're in there, hunt it hard, look at it for a morning, look at it for a night, look at it for another you know, whatever the case is to make sure that you've covered that country and then go you know the, the the bucks aren't in here where I'm looking I look down lower I can't find them it's time to move on to my backup plan but always giving it your all in a spot and just believing in it um you know that's it it's so huge and and so you know it, it's so overlooked like we we don't all even consider it we just let our brain wander and, and I get caught in it too but you just have to give every spot your all when you're in there but that that knowledge and game plan is also you know, just just one of those those facets that go into being a successful backcountry hunter. So, I when I hunt these high country mule deer, like I talked a little bit about it in my my backcountry camp uh, or that um, backpacking episode I did um, a handful back or whatever. And I talked about kind of my approach to it. Well, my approach to hunting high country mule deer, um, it, I. I'll go into these spots and, and so, um, I don't always hunt with my pack on my back. I want to go light, but it seems like until I find deer, I kind of travel with my pack on my back and I'll glass in different drainages and things. And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a good muley feature. And if I see a good muley feature and I may see a couple bucks around, or maybe I don't even see any bucks, but I just see this good muley feature and I'll say to myself, gosh, I really got to look at this in the morning or a night. 
And so then what I'll do from there is, okay, where can I camp? You know, where can I camp where I can look at this, where I'm not going to disturb it? I found this new feature. Maybe I've got a few different options. I'll set up my camp and then I'll, I'll, I'll plan to sleep there that night. And then I'll put in a good evening hunt where I'm glassing these spots and I'm seeing if these deer are there. Um, if I'm seeing bucks and I want to hunt there, I'll keep my camp there and I'll, you know, then I'll wake up in the morning, keep my camp at that location and I'll hunt it again, try to get some stocks. And from that camp, I'll move, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'd go six miles away from that camp. Um, you know, unless I really had a good stock where I couldn't return and grab my camp, but I'll, I'll, I'll hunt and range away from this base camp a little bit. Like I'll go up to three miles and I'll climb over, I'll look at other drainages and I'll use this as a base camp glassing around these different spots. But then when it's time to move, I grab my camp and I move. So, um, Say I say I, I want to say I see this feature and I want to look at it for the evening, see if any bucks are in there. So I'll set up my camp. I'll look at that feature that evening. If I don't see anything that next morning, I'm up before daybreak. I've got my whole camp loaded up in my pack and I'll take that pack and I'll start traversing more country. I'll find another another spot that looks bucky and I'll glass along the way in different drainages and I never, it's tough to walk by a basin in the middle of the day because you just don't know what lives there. Sure, you could pick up a buck in the middle of the day, and I, and I do often, especially because you're glassing down into these um, and into the, the shade and into these timber spots. But, you know, once I find another good feature or I get a couple miles down the ridgeline or whatever the case, I'll find another spot to camp, and then I'll hunt from there out of a base camp. If I'm into bucks, I'll stay camped right there and hunt around that location for three, four, five days, however however long I can before there are no bucks to stock or I'm not turning them up or I feel like I need to move. So I really use like this like this different approach to to camping where it's not a total bivy style where I'm always have my camp on my back it it's it's like this I'll set up these little base camps but I'm definitely not afraid to move my camp I'll move my camp two three four times during a hunt um usually as a rule unless I just get into the basin where the bucks are and then I'll camp right there and I'll hunt those bucks and I so it's also like when you're when you're bivy hunting and you've got your camp on your back, like to make a stock on a buck, you got to ditch your pack or ditch your camp or set up your camp and make a stock. And so, you know, traveling up and down with these with your camp isn't very effective or efficient either, you know, especially when you're trying to drop elevation to look at them at secondary living and and so I just kind of play it by the country and where I want to ditch my camp and where I want to ditch my pack and then I try to hunt Um, I, I hunt with my pack and I just put in there everything I need for the day. I usually have to have a spotting scope and a tripod if I'm hunting mule deer, if I see them a long ways off or to judge them, make sure it's the buck I want. And, um, then on a stock, it's, you know, what is the right move on the stock? You know, is it, do you, do you ditch your whole backpack and go light? If you go light with nothing on a stock, and a lot of times I'll do this if I'm close to my camp or, you know, I do have a good place. Like, I hate ditching my gear in the, the hills. I'm always afraid somebody's going to find it. But if they're anything like guys like me and you, they're not going to, nobody's going to mess with your stuff. And also, you got it tucked into a tree. Just want to make sure that you, you mark your pack with orange or at least where it's at or your boots or anything that you leave behind. I have lost my pack before in the mountains on a stock. Um, this thick spot in Northwest Montana, it took me like two hours to find my pack after I went for this stock, just could not locate. It was horrible. I've also lost my boots on a bear stock. I had to look for my boots for like an hour one time when I came back to them. So it's always good to have like a little flag of orange you can put on them or whatever. But, 
Um, I like going super light on a stock for mule deer um, just because you can cover ground so quick. So it's always nice to have your pack if you kill them where you can pack some of the meat back to camp or hang it up. But um, So I, I play it two ways. Either I'll go really light, and if you go really light, you have to have everything with you you need to survive. And so... You know, you have to have a rain jacket in case storms come in. You can tie that around your waist. Um, you know, for me, I've got to have a little bit of water. It's usually hot on these high country hunts, so I've got a little 8 or 10-ounce water bottle that I'll put in my pocket. I may also put some trail mix in there. And then you can even put, like, a game bag in your pocket, so if you do harvest a deer, you can bring back a load of meat. Uh, also, I'll have my knife on me. Um, so I'll just take everything I need, then my binos, my rangefinder, my bow, and I call that traveling light. Um, so I like traveling light on stocks and ditching the pack is always a good way to go. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll have my pack with me and I'll be on a ridge and, uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll move in with my pack that has my spotting scope and all my gear because all my stuff that I needed to hunt for the day. And then I'll get inside 200 yards or so and I'll ditch my pack and then go down light. Um, but I, I really like, like stalking is so difficult. Um, you know, this, just being able to, to step quietly is difficult because you have to slow down all your movements and all your muscle. Everything's so controlled that it wears on you. And then having to crawl on an animal or or having to, you know, you you go from, from walking to I do like this duck crawl. And then from there, you know, you go on all fours. And then from there, you have to belly crawl. That stuff is so grueling on you. It's so taxing to have to be quiet. And that's, you know, another part of the reason that, that um, you know, physical fitness helps out every portion of your game is like, um, you know, you're in a yoga pose everywhere you go on the mountains, like trying to step over things. You know, sometimes you'll have to to freeze on the mountain that deer will look at you and you'll have to freeze for 10 minutes or you'll run into another deer and you'll have to sit absolutely still like that is really difficult to do and you guys know you guys are are hunters as well but that stalking you don't think about how taxing it is on you but it is taxing and so it's part of the reason why I like to drop that pack so even if I have my pack I'll drop it 200 yards from that mule deer 150 yards because I can move better and they do make some nice day packs nowadays or packs that cinch to you. And, and, but I like to ditch my pack and then roll in because I, I just, those, those stocks on the stocks on the mule deer are so methodical and slow and controlled that you're, you're just that, that much more stealthy when you don't have your pack on you. And so I like to ditch my pack, but you know, sometimes like, like, um, if I'm hunting elk, I don't like to ditch my pack because elk, you have to move with the herd and you may end up, your stock may be this moving stock that ends up for a mile, two, three miles. And so it seems like when I ditch my pack or I ditch my shoes on, on elk, like I end up miles away from them and then I always have to return back and it ends up messing me up more so than doing me good is, you know, then you're a couple miles away from your pack and you're really thinking, God, I should go back and get my pack if I'm going to keep hunting these things. And so... I like to find a pack that really cinches to my back and moves with me for elk. And also, hunting elk, I leave my spotting scope and my tripod. I can just tell what they are with binos for the most part. I mean, don't kid yourself. I always want my scope at some point of an elk hunt to tell how big a six-point is or it's a it's a bull ways off or to be able to glass them in their bedding feature. Like, it, it is handy at times, and um, but I just like to hunt them light where I can travel with the herd. And so, you know, in, in my pack, I keep it light. I keep it cinched to my back, and I'll hunt, and I don't like to ditch my pack because I got to come back to it. And you can... 
it can bite you on a mule deer hunt too as you ditch your pack a couple hundred yards above that mule deer and all of a sudden that mule deer gets up and starts feeding down below you and you have to move with them but it, it seems to work a little bit better for me as is the stocks just like I say they're they're more methodical and slow and controlled and and even if you did have to move down you know then you know you can always go back and get up your get your pack later but that's usually how I play it is I'll either go light with water in my pocket and uh, cover country and try to get to them if I've got a good good place to ditch my my pack and my spotting scope and my stuff from where I spotted them or I'll take it with me and then ditch it when I get inside a couple hundred yards of that mule deer so that's that's kind of how I how I play those stocks but um yeah I just I absolutely love hunting high country mule deer and so I'm hoping um tag results haven't come out but I've just been thinking about it a lot lately and um, just trying to evolve to put myself on that next level. And I just want to hunt some of those, those giant bucks that, that I have in my dreams. Cause I know they're out there for the taking. And when I get these quality tags, man, I mean, um, you know, I, I see 200 inches in there and, and to be able to set my sights on one of those and, and harvest another one, um, just be amazing. And so that's what I'm working so hard to do is try to harvest one of those next level trophies. And I'm, I'm hoping I draw Hoping I draw Nevada and Colorado this year. It's like, it's like any of these hunting windows. They they just come and go. The the seasons are so short and so high country mule deer you can hunt in in August and early September and then it's over with. And and kind of like rutting elk, you can hunt in September, early October, and then it's over with. Like these just these fleeting these fleeting moments of this this fleeting amount of time that that just goes so quick, but that you enjoy so much. And so I'm just trying to make the most of this, this early season mule deer hunting. And so, um, Nevada, I got really aggressive on my tags. I haven't drawn a Nevada tag for a couple of years. And so, you know, I'm not just putting in for the couple locations and units. I know I got aggressive and I put in for tags and I may end up in there and I, I may not see a mule deer buck the entire hunt. I mean, I, it, it you know, I'm sure I'll find a buck, but, um, I, I'm just going to go and I'm going to immerse myself and enjoy the experience of being high country mule deer hunting. Cause it just, it comes and goes so quick. So I got more aggressive so I could end up with a Nevada tag this year. So hopefully I end up in Nevada. I'm probably going to be in a new mountain range that I've never hunted. It's, it's probably going to be difficult. And, um, you know, I'm just going to use all these, these facets to my advantage and, and, uh, going to go super hard there. And, and, uh, I'm going to find a mature buck and, and, uh, get narrow in them. At least that's the goal. And, uh, so I'm hunting there, um, hunting, um, I think I'm going to draw Colorado this year, going back to one of my favorite spots in Colorado, just one of my backcountry wilderness spots. And I've never seen another hunter back in there where I hunt. I've seen them in there, um, you know, partially in there in different places in the trail and, um, a different unit in there, but, uh, the spot I hunt, I haven't seen any hunters, but it's just a matter of time. Guys are going to find that place too. And, um, so I'll have to just, just keep moving, keep evolving. And I've got, you know, I've got a good plan for this year. I'm going to, I'm going to go in there and I, you know, I've got, I've got backup plans and other drainages I can get to that I know guys won't get to. I've got one drainage that I've never been able to figure out how to get down and actually hunt the buck, but I saw it. I see a giant one on that feature every year and I, I've got a plan this year to hunt that feature. I'm just going to go low, lose elevation, go around the edge and, and I'm going to hunt those bucks on that feature. Um, you know, that place I've got 
backup plans and and uh, just gonna work so hard to get myself in the the best physical shape I can and and best mental conditioning and and that's the spot where you kill giants. Last time I was in there, I killed a 200 inch mule deer. That typical, just a a giant buck. So fun to hunt them. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it absolutely everything I have in there this season. Um, I, I have seen some of the biggest bucks in my life in there. I've seen two thirties with stickers and kickers and inlines and, and, um, you know, I've, I've seen like this one buck we named Goliath. He had to be like 34 inches wide, but just so heavy. And he had like the typical four point frame, but then had some extras and his main beam split again, but just so heavy, uh, just such a bomber buck. Um, but I've seen some really good ones in there over the years. And so I know it's possible. They have the genetics, they have the management. Last time I was in there was 2015. Um, so here we are three years later. Like I just don't get these opportunities to hunt these places as often as I would like, or, I mean, I do, I find a place to hunt every single year, but my point being is this, this is a special tag in my pocket that it's taken me three years to get again. And so, um, I haven't drawn it yet. I should knock on wood as we're, as we're talking here, as I talk about the permits I'm going to get, <laughs> what a moron, but, um, I really do think I'm going to end up with these, these couple hunts and I just can't wait for the opportunity and in Colorado, I'll cut these legs loose and, and put my skills to the test and, and, uh, you know, I just, I want to push myself to my limits and, and be able to harvest a really nice buck in there. So I just can't wait for this, this early mule deer season to come about us. And, and also, like in the beginning, I talked about not just high country deer, but early season deer. Like there's a lot of early season spots that you are hunting these these velvet deer just like you would in the high country and, and they grow giant deer. Like sometimes we have to think outside the box like this high country deer deal. It, it is getting popular by guys. And so in some of these units, you have to get away from the pressure by thinking outside the box. And so I'm not opposed to, to hunting other spots. Um, you know, I'm not like part of it we talked about was hunting the the secondary living um that a lot of these bucks are not in these these alpine basins by the time season gets here that they're working down off and they're in this secondary living i mean it's still this this breathtaking gnarly country that's steep but it's just got little openings and avalanche shoots and a little bit more timber um they're tougher to find down there tougher to find the vantage points but we just got to evolve and hunt this country better because that's where the bucks are ending up and, and, and they're giant bucks ending up down there in the secondary living and so we have to focus on that or like um like i'm always amazed by um jason carter like some of the bucks that he turns up like he turns up some giants well he hunts spots you know he doesn't hunt the high country he hunts like a lot of desert spots and he hunts um he, he hunts a lot of spots where the deer populations are low and I, I'm switching my elk spot this year. You know, I've hunted where the populations are really high and I love that. I, like That's my favorite is being into them at all times. But if I want to harvest some of these bigger ones and some of these bulls that are less pressured, I'm going to have to go into these areas that, that have less elk where they can be tougher to find. And I'm okay with that. And same thing with deer. Like, um, you're just trying to find a mature, uh, mature buck and, and where a mature buck can live and grow up. Well, in a lot of these spots where there are lower populations in these desert units and things like they grow big. Like I, 
I have these dreams. Uh, you know, one of these days I want to hunt the Arizona Strip. Like, um, and it's an early season hunt, and they just grow giants down there. And I know, you know, there's there's pressure now, and outfitters that really know it, and a lot of guys are, you know, uh, sticking up cameras on water holes, and and that's the way they're getting them. And you know, uh, th- there's a bunch of effective tactics for killing a mule deer. I'm a spot and stock guy, but all uh. You know, I want to go hunt that, you know, I want to challenge myself, lower deer numbers, but giants down there. I mean, just the genetics are crazy. Um, I want to hunt Utah again. I killed a nice buck in the high country of Utah, but it was really high pressure up there. And, um, you know, the, the bucks were high pressure, you know, they were in secondary living August 15th or whenever that season was open down there. I believe it was August 15th, Utah opens. Um, but I want to hunt Utah again and I want to, I want to hunt some of these these different units, and and uh, a lot of them are not high country, but they're early season deer, and I want to be able to find because they're just they're they're harvesting giant bucks down there. They live down there, and it's hunting it the same way from vantage points, traveling country, being able to live back with them. So you know, I I want to start hunting some of these desert spots or some of these secondary living. You know, just think outside the box. Like a even my spot that I hunt, Eastern Montana. Um, I've been having great hunts down there last year was just epic and and this year I really want to set my sights high on like the best Montana mule deer I've ever harvested with my bow um and I love hunting late and so I'll probably save it for late um but you know if I don't draw an early season tag I know I've got a Montana tag that I can go hunt some early high season country and and I love that Montana high country and so I may do that, but my, my point is, is this spot that I'm hunting late during the rut, like it, it's really good early, like in that early season mule deer. And it's just in that window before you're really hunting elk in that beginning of September, Montana, the season opens beginning of September, but God, those first few days to go hunt that early season mule deer and go get stocks on those things. And that's kind of like out in the badlands or out in the prairie, but you know, think outside the box. It isn't all about the high country mule deer. I think it's all about the early season mule deer. And so, um, you know, I just, just, uh, you know, some, some other ways I'm thinking that just, you know, we just got to keep evolving with the times. And, um, you know, I, gosh, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've really had a lot of my success in the high country. I really enjoy it up there, but I, I'm not opposed to hunting different spots. Like I say, I, I love hunting all places with my bow and, and, uh, find beauty in all places. But, um, that, that high country is sure special and then you know the it, it wouldn't be the high country early season mule deer if i didn't talk just a little bit on lightning uh, look at this i'm already going I, I said i wanted to keep it under two hours today and i'm already in an hour and 30 minutes but that's um that's just how it goes when you get me talking mule deer so one more topic we covered a lot today um a ton of information in this one but just about lightning um you guys have heard me talk about lightning a bunch on the podcast and, um, you know, I, I, it, this is another, this is a mental hurdle for me. I would say, you know, if I, if I'm being completely honest with you guys, like that lightning scares the shit out of me. Um, you know, it, it's spooky stuff when you're up there in the, the high country. And I, I've been in, in more lightning storms than I, than I care to even mention, you know, n- not only in the high country, but also like on our river, on the Madison, I'll be floating down the river and we'll get bad storms that come in. And there's, you know, there, there's really no place to hide as it's open prairie and you're trying to hide in willow brushes and, and ride out the storm sitting on your feet. And that, that lightning, um, yeah, I, if I'm being completely honest, like I, I think it's, you know, it's, 
I've had I've been scared so many times from it like it's it's part it's almost like a phobia for me and I I've gotten over it over the years like you just conquer it with your mental strength you ride through these storms and when you make it through a storm in a safe spot and the storm's over with you feel better and you you know I, I just I write them out I make myself go through them but I'm a better person because of it like conquering your fears and and you know, lightning's just one of those deals. And if you haven't had a storm come in on you in the high country, it is so spooky. And there's just no rhyme or reason. Like, a lot of times I have control in my situation. If I run into a grizzly bear, yeah, I can be bad. But, you know, my my actions are going to dictate my safety. And I guess it's the same with lightning. Your your actions dictate your safety. But, um, you know, it's just like I feel like I have more control over the situation. If I run into snakes, if I run into grizzly bears, I have more control over the situation of, of falling and keeping myself safe in steep terrain. I have control over myself in, in situations of, of being in remote back country. And so I just feel in more control where I feel like when those lightning storms come in, I feel like I don't have much control over the situation, but your control is to get yourself to a safe place. And so I mean, when those things come in on you, like, let's see, I'm just trying to think of like, I have so many gnarly stories in my past, but, um, you know, I think I, I've talked about this one maybe a little bit, but it, it was so spooky. Like I, okay. So I, I went into Colorado, I was successful. I harvested a good buck and I had to write out some lightning storms here, there, but it wasn't a big deal. And then the, the next year I wanted to take my buddy Dan in there and I actually wanted to take him into a new unit in Colorado, yeah. Okay. So, so I took Dan in there. We filled out like the hunt went perfectly. Like, uh, we filled all on two trophy bucks within like three or four days, had them packed out. We both killed 180 plus inch deer. It was just an amazing trip. I've never had a trip go so smooth where we both killed giant deer, both stuck them with our arrows. They're both just beautiful bucks. And then we go back the next year. And so we have this game plan. Like we just went to this Colorado spot and, and we killed two bucks within three days by living on the top of the mountain, peeking over the top, getting stocks on them and so we have this game plan in our heads of how we're going to hunt this place and excuse me and so we go in there and uh we, we're trying to execute this same game plan and so we camp and and we don't camp on the ridge lines like i i won't camp on the ridge lines anymore like you can ride it out if it's going to be good weather but man if one of those lightning storms come in that lightning is just drawn to those high ridge lines like i've seen it hit the same place on the ridge line two three times like it just pounds those ridge lines and so we camped off the ridge line. We're probably a thousand feet off the ridge. We're still in fairly open terrain, but we're kind of by a little group of trees down in there through there and set up our camp, climb to the top of the mountain, wrap in. And then we're staring at that gnarly basin I was telling you guys about that I haven't been able to hunt deer and we're watching this monster buck in there. All of a sudden it starts to get kind of foggy, you know, and and it's not foggy. It's actually the clouds kind of soaking in on us. And the, the first lightning strike, like there was no warning. Like sometimes these storms will develop right on top of you in the mountains. Like sometimes you can read the storms and see which direction they're coming. Sometimes they 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 just develop and, and start like right above you. And the first lightning strike is on the peak that, that we're on the side of. So we're maybe 500 feet from this peak and the first one just bop, boom and hits this peak and just rattles. And we're trying to gather up all our stuff and we try to side hill back towards our camp and this storm is right on us and it's it's like it's shooting at you there's lightning all the way around you and 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 just the flash booms that just scare you like the like there's no delay and so those lightning strikes are right around you or right above you and they're crackling and you just see that flash and your heart starts beating and then the boom 
boom, you know, it's like somebody shooting a 338 off in your ear, like it's so loud and rattles you hearts beating out of your chest and we're trying to get back around to our camp and pretty soon it's just too dangerous there's lightning all the way around us and so we turn and just start diving off the mountain we're going the opposite way from camp diving down off the mountain just losing elevation and we're we're dang near running down this mountain slope because the lightning is just pounding around us and there's just no safe place to be it's wide open and all we can do is get in a little depression you know and we get in this little depression and now we're a thousand fifteen hundred feet off the top and it's just booming around us and I told Dan I said man we got to get to that small group of trees and and so we start hustling to this small group of trees and all of a sudden lightning hits those group of trees like just bangs the group of trees and so then all of a sudden we're frozen in the middle and just I remember Dan looked at me at one point and asked me if I knew CPR like it is so scary but the storm passed um you know it developed right around us we were in a bad spot there where the storm developed but so we, the storm passed, we made it through it. So we start hiking way back up, got to gain 1500 feet elevation back to camp. We're exhausted. We make it back to camp and have dinner. And all of a sudden we can hear the rumblings again, like here it comes again and camp's in a safe spot. We're just going to sit in our tents and camp out. And all of a sudden that rain and the hail starts coming down and all of a sudden just the bangers and they're flash booming all the way around us. Like just scary as all get out. Like, um, I don't know how many strikes inside a half mile, like inside two seconds from the flash boom, or even how many strikes that are just flash booms that are with inside hundreds of yards from the tent. And pretty soon it gets too bad. And I, I told Dan, I said, man, we got to put in place our lightning plan. We get our, get your rain jacket on. And so we get out of our tents and we drop down into the cover of the trees and we ride out this storm and it's brutal. And uh, so we ride out that storm and come back up, try to get some sleep and have another one hit in the middle of the night. That's a bad one. And so um, basically we had to move our move our camp after that. I mean, it's so spooky, those three storms. But that that year we had storms come in every single afternoon that would just blow us up like that. And, um, you know, it's just lightning is not to be played with in the high country. And and if you're on those ridgelines, like I've heard multiple stories of people getting struck by lightning and your odds are really bad at getting struck by lightning when you look at your odds. But also those odds aren't taking into account that I'm living in the high country during high lightning season, like in Nevada and Colorado. Like, I think my odds are a little bit greater than the average odds of getting struck by lightning. Like, I just don't want to tempt it up there. And so, um, you know, I... I got, um, you know, I, when I talk honestly, like there is a healthy fear of lightning, but all I can do is put myself in safe places to plan for it, ride out these storms and, and see it through. Like the, the goal to me is, is more important and not letting this fear control me, not like, uh, you know, being stuck, having to, to camp at my truck or being, you know, like I'm, I'm just not going to let it control me. And it's part of this adventure and, and your safety's in your own hands that I, that I love, that I yearn for too. Like I enjoy it. I enjoy riding out a gnarly lightning storm. Like, um, you know, it's as silly as that sounds like, um, you know, I, I get anxiety. I can feel it coming in. I get to a safe spot and then, you know, that lightning storm comes, it's banging all around me, uh, hearts beating. And then it passes. I know I made it through the storm, you know? And so like, I, uh, you know, I enjoy that as well. 
but keep yourself safe around lightning. It isn't worth camping on the tops. Always get down off the peaks and, and, and off the ridge lines. Like get off the main ridge lines to camp. And, and it's just a hard rule that I make. And I want to be able to ride out a lightning storm in my tent. To have to put in place a lightning plan and get out of your tent and go crawl down into the timber with your rain jacket. Your legs get soaked. You get wet. You get cold. You're not sleeping like... You know, a, a lightning plan will work for some spots, but I just I just don't implement that anymore. Like for me, you know, lightning plans come for me when I'm hunting up high and I see a storm coming in or um, something like that. But as far as camp, like I am finding a place that is not going to get struck by lightning. I'm I'm finding a place. I like to find a place, you know, inside the trees, but not camping by the biggest tree. Depressions. I like to get low off the ridge lines, off the peaks in some place where I can ride out a storm and in my in my tent and I've had to ride out some bad ones I had one in Nevada I mean it went all night long hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of strikes so many within a half mile I I couldn't sleep throughout the night just kept flashing and lighting up my tent and um, it's all around me but I was in a safe spot at least where I could be in my tent I didn't have to be out in it so always find a spot down off the main ridge lines um down off the main peaks it's 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 not worth dying for like you have to come back to to hunt another day you have to come back to your family and and the adventure is fun but you just don't want to risk it and also these stocks on these deer will put you in bad positions um sometimes you're stalking a deer and you're you're being cautious and and you're up above them and you're waiting for your chance to close in and you'll have a lightning storm come in um you know be safe during these like like uh yeah, no bucks worth dying for. You have to get down and be safe. And and I've I've been on these stocks and been in bad positions. Like you gotta. That's why you always want to have your rain jacket with you to get soaking wet on a stock. You may think it's not that big a deal, but you get soaking wet. These storms come in. The temperature drops. The wind blows. Like that's a recipe for hypothermia too. Um, but that lightning, I just don't mess around with it. And sometimes if I'm up on the hill and I'm on a stock, you know, and I'm not on the peak, I'm down from the peak, I'll choose to ride it out up there. And, um, it can, it can get a little, a little, uh, hectic. Um, you know, I, I feel safe enough to ride out the storm and I get in a little group of trees and I get in a little spot and I ride out the storm up high. But if I have my preference, I'm diving off that mountain and I'm getting down to a safe spot, a depression, a small group of trees down off the peaks, down off the ridge lines where I can ride out that storm. And I, I know I'm safe. So, um, just always be cautious that that lightning is not something to be messed with. But, um, anyways, I, I think, um, I better be careful here. I'm going to have a three hour solo podcast, but, um, yeah, that's, um, you guys, uh, you guys know that that's my passion, that hunting high country mule deer. And, um, I just can't wait for this season to cut the legs loose and to, to test all my skills and the ultimate backcountry test. And, and, um, so I hope you guys picked up some good information from the podcast. I got to get out and hunt a bear now. Um, I got just a couple weeks left before I leave to Hawaii. I'm just going to put all my effort into it. Like the grass is finally right. I need to be out every single evening I can. Uh, still got to record podcasts and get those out and take care of work and business and things. But uh, family. But every every free night I got now, I, I got to just spend hunting bears. I got a couple plus weeks, two to three weeks here. So um, I'd really like to get a mature boar down. So time to go walk around with my bow and, and get to the mountains. And I'll leave you guys with that. Um, release this here this week as a bonus episode. Um, man, I know I thank you guys for the support a lot, but um, 
it, it really just means the world to me like to to be able to to have this community of guys that we've built that enjoy this podcast it, it absolutely means the world to me and and uh for you guys to show your support and uh you know follow on the social media and the, the tag me in different things um i i really enjoy it and i i really appreciate it guys i'm, I'm completely humbled by the just by the um, support of the the podcast and support of you guys, other like minded bow hunters, and and um, how much you enjoy this this information that we put out there. So just want to continue to to get better at it, as always. Um, you know, good guests. Uh, I really enjoy these solo episodes. As I can just cut myself free, have way too much coffee, and then uh, let let all my thoughts come out on the podcast. It's a uh, it, it's a really fun platform for me. So. Um, thanks as always for all the support you guys I hope you guys are getting to the mountains hope you guys are drawing some good tags Uh, you guys have tagged me um, tagged me uh, tagged me in a couple of the tags that you guys have got Um, so I think that's really cool just to 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 help enjoy the the experience of drawing one of those tags or the opportunity to go hunt some of those species so congrats to you guys and and uh yeah hope you guys' plans are coming together and and all is good for springtime so i'll uh i'll check in with you next week or or might even check in with you again this week we'll get out another podcast this week and have this as a bonus episode but um thanks again guys talk to you soon